The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 77. In 1985, 690 pilgrims walked the Camino. In 2013, that number increased just a tad to 215,880. Looks like someone's getting popular. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and whether this is your first time listening or you have been with us since the very beginning, I want to say thank you for joining us today and making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And speaking of since the beginning, my co-host and guest today is someone who has truly been with me since the beginning, the person I've known for longer than anyone else in this world, and that's because we shared a womb together, my twin sister, Gail. Gail, thanks so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome, Trav. Gail, I know you've been listening to Podcast Gluttony because what else is family for? And we are proud to announce that we rushed through 22 episodes in September you know, every single weekday, Monday through Friday, we gave you podcast gluttony. And because of the feedback, we are going to continue to do it. So we are going to continue to release episodes every single weekday, five days a week. If you guys like what you've been hearing, please let us know. Shoot me an email, Travis Extra Pack of Peanuts. Tell me what episodes you liked, what else you want to hear. If you have recommendations for guests or you have travel questions, please, please, please let us know. We're always looking to make this show as perfect as it can be for you, the listeners. And I have been getting a lot of emails. I've talked to a lot of people recently about the Camino. And that's the reason I brought Gail on today. Other than the fact that we're both in Philadelphia for the first time in a long time, and we're actually getting to sit across the table from each other. And that's because Gail is an expert on the Camino. Because Gail, you do not live in Philadelphia anymore. No, I live in Santiago de Compostela, Spain. And that is the ending of the Camino. And we're going to talk about the Camino. And a lot of people have come up to me and they say, I want to hike the Camino or I've hiked the Camino. And it's a very popular thing to do. So why don't we start off by just telling people, what is the Camino? The Camino is a medieval pilgrimage. Um, it's been around for about a thousand years. It first started back um, when the Catholic Church decided to make Santiago a pilgrimage destination, a holy city. It's because they found the remains of, or legend has it, they have B- the remains. Believed to <laughs> yeah. have, yes. So depending on what you believe, the remains of the Apostle James are in the cathedral of Santiago de Compostela. So they said that this is a holy site, and if you make a pilgrimage there, then you will receive an indulgence, the Compostela, and you will be free from purgatory. 
Also, throughout the history, um, some prisoners were pardoned while being able to walk it. You could either be in jail or you could go walk the Camino. And when you get done, you are done being a criminal, I guess. Uh, most people did not survive during that time, though, because it was very hazardous. Yeah, I did not know that about being a prisoner and being able to walk the Camino and being you know, free from your prison sentence and things like that. And so now we are seeing a rise in popularity in the Camino. I mean, I believe you know, I didn't know anything about the Camino before you actually started telling me about it, which was about three or four years ago when you were looking into moving there and and possibly working with pilgrims there. But it really has exploded recently. Yeah. In the last decade, the numbers have skyrocketed, I think mainly due to an increase of spirituality and people just wanting to get away from modern life, that this has just been an intriguing thing to them. So in the last decade, just numbers have skyrocketed and Hundreds of thousands of people flock to Santiago each year. Yeah, I did a little digging before the show, and it said that 173,000 pilgrims have walked the Camino from January 1st of this year until the end of August. So you have 173,000 people doing it you know, in a, a little over half of this year, and that's a 10% increase from the last year. And I know that's kind of been the trend for the last 10 years, where it just keeps increasing each year. Yeah, and every so often there's a holy year, um, which is when the Feast of St. James, July 25th, falls on a Sunday, and that's a holy year. So those numbers are even more. The next one is not until maybe like 2018, 2020, not really sure, I forget, but... Wow. And so so we had this rise in popularity, and you kind of mentioned, you touched on a few of the reasons. I think one of the reasons that people do the Camino is because it is a way to break free from this life that they have. You know, it's it's much more bare bones than the life they have at home, whether that be working in office, even working for themselves or things like that. You actually walked some of the Camino before you actually started working with pilgrims. I want to talk a little bit about day-to-day life on the Camino because a lot of the questions that people ask are like, well, what what is it? You know, what am I actually going to be doing? Like I get the point that I'm going to try to walk to Santiago de Compostela. It's great. But can you give us a little bit of an idea of kind of how it works and what people should be expecting? Yeah. So day to day on the Camino, on one hand, is very much the same day to day. On the other hand, you just never know what might happen to you each day. But pretty much you you get up and you pick a destination, you figure out where you want to stop that day, or maybe figure it out along the way where your next pilgrim hostel, Albuquerque's are located and then you you just walk you <laughs> you might walk with people some people like to walk all of it alone but they always say you go on the camino alone but you're never alone so even people solo travelers you meet friends almost instantaneously because everyone is just you get up and walk and you usually see the same people day after day you might stay 2 days in a town and they might move on and then later on like 2 weeks later you might run into them again and because you're in the same hostel. And um, it's just one of the beautiful things about the Camino is there's a community that forms. So when you get up, you just, you get up, you might have breakfast at the Alberque or you might walk two kilometers or two miles or whatever you choose to walk, stop at a cafe, eat breakfast, continue walking, stop, have a snack. And then, you know, depending on how far you walk that day, you know, stop midday at your hostel, check in, and then have your big meal and, you know, wash your clothes. A lot of times you have to hand wash your own clothes. So you travel light. 
some people overpack, but you don't want to overpack because it really does wear on your body. Um, you don't need to bring pots and pans. This isn't the App- Appalachian Trail. Some people bring tents if they're walking from other parts of Europe and not starting on the border of France um, and Spain, where most people start. But for the most part, you don't need tents. Um, maybe a light sleeping bag or a sleep sack and maybe a, a floor mat or a bed mat and you're good to go and a couple pair of clothes. So yeah, you wash your clothes, you know, shower, change into your resting clothes and, you know, hang out with pilgrims, see the local town, um, grab something to eat, have a drink or two or three, <laughs> enjoy some free tapas. Yeah, depend, <laughs> depends how hard the walk was that day. Yeah. And some places you, some of the hostels are in old monasteries, some are in current monasteries or attached to the church, some are private. Um, it really, there is a variety of things on the Camino that are offered. And as it gets more popular, more things are sprouting up and different places. So you might go to a mass, you might go to a pilgrim blessing, you might, if it's a bigger city, you might just walk around and see the sights. If it's a small town, you might just hang out in your hostel with your new Camino friends. I mean, it does change day to day, but it's pretty much you get up, you walk to your destination, and you find your food along the way, and it's it cuts your life down to the basics, food, shelter, and sleeping and pretty much that's <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> that's and fellowship and friendship yeah. for for most people i guess mm-hmm. some people do decide to do it completely solo or want a solitary journey so they shirk away from a lot of other people but yeah if you want a solitary journey either walk it in the winter when not as many people are walking or walk one of the other routes because the the camino francese is very popular and it would really be hard to do a solitary journey on that one you can get solitary time but if you really didn't like people at all don't do that one. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point. We should mention that, you know, when I first heard of it, I think a lot of people think of it as one route. You know, everyone goes one exact way. But in essence, it's really a m- multiple bunch of routes. There is a few that are more popular than others. So why don't we touch on those just for some people to give some background? Yeah, the main route is the Camino Francais that enters Spain over the Pyrenees from France. And it's the main route because that's where Spain is attached to mainland Europe. So if you live in Europe, you can literally leave your house and connect and find your way to the pilgrimage from anywhere in Europe. I mean, it's harder. It's not as well marked and you might, some people need compasses, but a lot of people walk it from Holland. I met a guy that walked it from Hamburg, Germany. People will walk crazy distances. There's also Camino del Norte, which goes along the northern coast of Spain that I hear is very beautiful. It's a little harder because it's a lot more up and down. Um, there's the Camino Primitivo, which again is in the north and a lot of up and down, but along the coast. There's a Camino that comes up from Portugal that goes along the beach or into the countryside. The Via de la Plata comes up from Sevilla. It's a, a long Camino, just like the Camino Francais, but they suggest not to walk it in the summer. Some people do, but it's very hot because you start in the south and it is very hot and the beginning parts are very hard because you have to go long distances and carry all your food and water with you or a lot of it because there's just not as much for you. Yeah, and on the one website that we we got the numbers from, it, it, lots of good statistics if you're interested in that. And I always love statistics around the Camino. And it mentioned that the Camino Francaise, 67% of the pilgrims who had made it to Santiago had done the Camino Francaise. So by far and away, the most popular route. We'll link that in the show notes too. It's it's really cool if you're interested in seeing kind of all the stuff, the numbers around the Camino. This this guy wrote a blog post that has a lot oh, of great stuff. Oh, a plug stuff. for that guy. That guy is a Scottish guy named Johnny Johnny uh, Walker. Well, he, he goes by Johnny Walker, 
but uh, I forget his actual last name right now, but he goes by Johnny Walker and he is a Scottish guy that um, lives in Santiago now and he started a program called the Amigo Program. So if you walk it and you want to give back, you can volunteer at the Pilgrim office and um, it's for mostly English speakers. But yeah, he is very, very involved with the Camino and the Pilgrim office and everything like that. So a little plug for that guy. Yeah, we will be linking him in the show notes. Rafferty, John Rafferty is John his name. John Rafferty. <laughs> Johnny, Johnny the Walker. Um, yeah, great, great stuff here. Just looking through his numbers real quick, you know, Spain, 50% of pilgrims come from Spain. Then Italy is 9%, Germany is 6 Portugal is 5 US is 45 So just some cool stuff. 55% male, 45% female. 88% of people do it on foot, 11 on bicycle, less than 1% on horseback, and less than 0.01% in wheelchairs. No one on elliptigos, though. So you guys have heard me talk about my elliptigo journey that'll be happening. Yeah, maybe I'll be the first one to do that. So some cool stuff there. Getting back to, so you did the uh, Camino Francis or part of the Camino Francis. No, I I actually did. I don't um, even know. You're my twin. (laughs) I can't believe I messed that up. I did a part, an offshoot of the Via de la Plata. So if you walk the Via de la Plata, you can either meet up with the Camino Francis or there is an offshoot that's called the Sombraceway that goes through Orense. And I started in Orense. So I did the last 105 kilometers of that route. And to get a Compostela, the minimum is 100 kilometers on foot or 200 kilometers by bike. And I I don't remember what the horse one is. I think it's either 100 or 200. I wonder how many on an elliptigo. <laughs> Maybe 175. <laughs> Maybe. You'll have to barter with the Catholic Church for that one. And that, that means, that's when you say you get a Compostela, what does that mean? The Compostela is the official uh, legal document from the church. And that is the official document proving that you've done it and you did it for religious reasons. If you choose to do it and not do it for any sort of spiritual religious reasons, which you can, they ask you at the office and you would just say other or whatever other reason, you know, you might have. And there's a different certificate for that. They also now this year started doing a certificate of distance, I think, where you can, it says how far you've walked and that you can do as well. Typically, how far do people walk? Like you said you have to do over a hundred kilometers to you know to get a Compostela. How do most people if you do the typical Camino Francais journey, how long is that? If you do what typically is considered the whole thing, um, you would start in Saint Jean Pietaport, and that is right across the border, uh, right across the Pyrenees in France. And so you'd start there and it is eight hundred kilometers, roughly five hundred miles. And it takes about 30 days to about a month and a half on average. Some people longer, some people shorter. We heard someone went, it took him like maybe 15, something crazy, something ridiculous. He was like running it basically. I don't know how he did that. Yeah, Francis Tapon, who's been (laughs) on this show before, is crazy. And he, I forget exactly how long he told me the Camino took him or part of it. He was, he's crazy. He was basically (laughs) run walking the whole way. If you guys are interested in that, a really good episode, you can find that as well. Um, Francis is a great guy. But yeah, some people choose to, just do it quick. I mean, that's maybe part of their goal is I want to do it faster than most people because I, for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think people need to be careful about that just because um, some people, their bodies can't go that fast and you need to really listen to your body because that's how people get injured and have injuries and then you can't continue. So a lot of people, you know, get the race mentality, like it's a race or I'm, I'm young, I should be able to do it faster, but you really just need to go your, your own pace and your Camino is your Camino is what they say. And it's, it's yours. It's not anyone else's. And you just have to, you know, listen to your body. If you only want to go 16 Ks that day, then go 16 Ks. If you're able to stop now, if you, there's no way to stop and you don't want to sleep outside, then 
continue on. But typically, <laughs> typically on the Camino Frances, you won't really have that problem. Maybe some spots, but it's it's a lot more built up than the rest of the Caminos. So you would be able to stop and you can plan your journey based on your own personal abilities. So, so. the Camino Frances has enough places around that every night you can make your way to an alberque or a hostel. Yeah, like, and there's, there's, there's how pensions. Remote is it? it well, there, I mean, you'll walk through like the countryside and really small villages, but there's usually if if that alberque is full or there's no other pensions or different things, I might be saying alberque wrong. My team leader is going to hate me for it, but you can typically walk to the next one or find a place. Now, during the summer, I will say July and August, especially August, it is very, very crowded on the Camino Frances. So there is there tends to be races for beds. You know, if you're a slower walker, you might want to, if you see one that has beds, you might want to stop and get it. But typically there's, you know, you can find a place. So people will normally do about 20, 25 Ks a day. Is that about an average pace? Yeah, I, I've, I've heard different things. It depends. Like some of the old older people are people like me who don't want to do far distances, like 16 to 20. But, but on average, when I did mine, because it wasn't as built up, I think on average we did about... 25k like on average or 22 to 25 some days were closer to 30 and some people do they do 30 average and they can just do that or 40 and that's ridiculous but they do it and they're that's what they like to do but yeah i would say probably in the 20s like mid 20s would be at the highest average having been someone who's been on the Camino now, living in Santiago for the last two years, what would you recommend as the best time? If someone says, I'm going to do the Camino Frances and you know it's probably going to take me a month, month and a half, when, and they could go at any time of the year, would there be a time that you'd be like, these are the kind of the sweet spots on the Camino? I would say probably in the spring. Now, spring is starting to get more busy because just it's everything, is, busy everything is getting more busy. But I would say probably... Maybe starting in mid-spring and walking. That way, when you get to Galicia, you're done uh, the rainy season in Galicia, which is like nine months out of the year. But you're arriving before all the big crowds. But the, everything's still open because it's now started season. Like around May and June is when all the seasons start for things like on the coast, like the beaches, the islands, like different things like that start opening up all their tours again and everything. And just more places are open, more hostels are open once spring hits because that's when we say the, the beginning of the season and starts usually around Semana Santa, which is Easter week is when the season kind of kicks off because that's when a lot of people decide to walk and it's spring. So if someone was looking to go maybe April into beginning of May, mm-hmm. that might be a really good time to do it. Yeah. And it might, if you happen to walk on Easter week, then, you know, it might be a little more crowded, but it's still, it's still a lot better than the heat of summer and high, the high numbers of August. Also, it, it gets a little tricky because it starts raining again in Galicia, but fall is also a pretty nice time. A lot of Americans are walking this September. They, they have come into our welcome center and they or they've contacted us through the American, American pilgrims on the Camino page. Um, that's the American pilgrim society that exists in America. They've been walking in September and it seems to be, it's pretty, usually pretty good weather. The numbers are still fairly high, but it's not like August and, I would say September, October is also another pretty good time. 
Yeah, and Gail doesn't know it yet, but we're going to be roping her into doing another show about Santiago and Galicia in general. So we'll do a Destination Diaries on that. So we'll touch more on that specific area and the things to do when you get to Santiago and around Santiago. If you know, if you walk the Camino and you want to stay in town and do some more stuff, we'll do that in in another show and we'll put it up because um, a lot of people have been asking me about that. And I think you know, that's one of the reasons that you guys decided to open a pilgrim house in Santiago because people would get to the end and then there would kind of be no guidance. Yeah. I mean, a lot of pilgrims have been saying to us that when they get to Santiago, they don't know what to do. There's it's, it's a bigger city. I mean, not by American standards, but it's a bigger city than what they've been going through. And a lot of people, they just say, Oh, they want our money or there's just so much commercialism because people, there's a lot of restaurants, there's tourist stores, there's everything is built up around the Camino because that is the main infrastructure that in the university there. So yeah, they just don't have a lot of places to go and still be in that pilgrim community or to continue their Camino. So we opened up, it's called Terra Nova Pilgrim House and it's a welcome center where pilgrims can come during the day. It's not a hostel. Um, in the future, we're hoping that it, um, we can start a hostel as well. But for now, it's just during the day where they can come get free Wi-Fi. We have a laundry service, printing boarding passes, and a bag check because you're not allowed to take your bags into the cathedral anymore for security reasons and numbers. But we also have like a living room. We have a, a room in the back where we're going to have collaborative art projects or individual art projects that people can participate in to kind of debrief their journey. Um, and so just a, a good library. place yeah. to relax and kind of let the whole thing wash over you and reflect and enjoy you know, the fellowship of other pilgrims, basically. Yeah. And a and lot other of people who are there to kind of walk you through what you might be feeling or. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people do walk the Camino for very personal reasons or very deep reasons. Like they're in transition or they've just retired or they have some reason that has allowed them to have this time to walk it and it causes them to start just reevaluating their lives or maybe they want to reevaluate their lives. And that's one of the reasons they walk or they've just lost a loved one or they're walking on behalf of somebody. The reasons are endless. I mean, they're as endless as the amount of people, but a lot of people are, are really thinking about purpose in life and what they should do next or what, what is the meaning of this? And, um, yeah, it even would be if you're hard not, to walk yeah. for a month or even five mm-hmm. days and have that kind of removal from phones and internet and not reflect. Yeah, I, I, it and, would be almost impossible. And people do have their phones and iPhones up, but not everywhere has internet. But you walk so much and you're walking through nature and you're, even if you're not a spiritual person or you're not walking for religious reasons, a lot of other people are. And because most of your time is then downtime is spent talking with these other people or visiting the monasteries or it just gives you like you can't help but think of those things or think of the history of these things and we've talked to people from all different cultures and religious backgrounds and ages and genders and you know you might believe in one thing and this person believes in another but like it it's a nice place where people do discuss it and it's it's almost more of a safe place because people don't seem to at least in my experience people don't seem to get into the whole argument mentality of politics and religion and all that they they do just want to have genuine discussions and deep discussions with people from other cultures and every the community that's formed is a very unique community and it's it's just beautiful to see because people just want to 
want to learn about other people and the the friends that they form are lasting friendships. Like I still stay in contact with two of the ladies I met and I only knew them for, you know, a week and we still stay in contact. Yeah. So. And we'll be linking up Terra Nova Pilgrim House, obviously, on the show notes as well. And those show notes will be found at extrapackofpants.com. Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah. Extrapackofpants.com slash Camino, C-A-M-I-N-O. Let's talk a little bit of logistics here. We've kind of talked about the routes, and most people are going to take the Camino Frances. If you want to take a different one, cool. It'll probably be more remote, right? The other ones will be more remote. Yeah, they're starting to get the 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 Del Norte and the Portuguese are starting to get more popular, and there's more materials coming out in guidebooks. If you are going to walk and you want a good guidebook, one of the most English speakers or Americans, at least, um, they tend to get the John Brierley, um, a pilgrim's guide to the Camino. And he has one for Francais, I think Portuguese, different, different routes. He uh, has the best eyebrows ever. They're there very, they're very, I don't know if he's British, but he looks like, I feel like he should be a British man. A lot of um, Americans at least carry that guidebook and maybe some other English speakers. And there's more that are coming out. Like, m- like we've, we've had quite a few people um, be like, oh, I write a guidebook or I have an ebook about it. So there, the resources are, are almost at this point endless. Some of the other routes don't have as much information on them, but they are starting to become a little more popular with the guidebook writers and different and things. And still safe to do, right? Yeah. I mean, okay. Then what about some tips for people who want to hike the Camino? Because, you know, a lot of people are going to be listening to this or, or already if they are listening to this, think I want to hike it. And, you know, I want to hike it as well and things like that. What should people consider before they do or what kind of should they know? I mean, I know it's not like you're probably going to go out there and it's super treacherous. Like I'm going to go hike Everest tomorrow. Like you could do the Camino tomorrow, but there's some things that people should consider before they do it of like why they're going to do it and also like what they should bring and be aware of. I mean, like me, I had never (laughs) backpacked before ever. And so when they said, did you hike? I said, yes, because I've gone hiking in the woods like for a few hours. And I tried to practice at home, like walk four miles, you know, with my dog or whatever. But if you've never done it, you probably should train before you go. Um, At least wearing your pack with some stuff in it, breaking in your shoes. Um, Some people don't have to. Some people are born hikers. But if you're not like me, you definitely should prepare ahead of time. And the amount of time depends really on you. But it, it really would be a good thing because a lot of people, oh, it's just walking. I can do it. And, but it, you're walking. That's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> oh, I'll just go out and walk for 25 miles a day. No big deal. Like the terrain changes. You might be walking along the street, through woods, through an old Roman street or a bridge, through a old cow farm or a stream, you know, like, and it's, you know, it's, it's not the easiest, but it, it's not like hiking Everest or anything, but it's not something that everyone can just go out and do without any sort of preparation. Right. And they <laughs> might be able to do it, but their comfort level might be pretty bad if they just say, I'm not going to practice at all and, and then just go out and do it. Yeah, they might you, be feeling the it the first, first couple the first, of days. The first few weeks might be rough, but eventually you'll build up blisters and tough feet. Eventually. <laughs> That's what I was Eventually. told. I had if really bad blisters. Long enough, yeah. If you yeah. push through your blisters for three weeks, the last week will probably be pretty nice. <laughs> what should people bring then on Camino? You talk about packing light. I think that's essential. We talk a lot on the show. You only bring carry-ons anywhere you go anyway. But what should people bring specifically for the Camino? And what kind of stuff did you bring that you're like, oh my gosh, if I'm doing this again, like no way. This was just extra weight. There's no point. Yeah, I don't know if I had um, a lot of extra stuff. I didn't bring a whole lot, but I didn't go for a very long time. So I knew I wouldn't need a whole lot of stuff. I brought a pair of mesh shorts and a pair of 
athletic capris because that's what I owned. I didn't want to buy new clothes for it and two t-shirts. And that's why I walked in each day. I alternated and washed one. And then while they dried that day, I wore the next one the next day in case it didn't dry. Um, and then I had a pair of pajamas slash like hangout clothes and a light jacket. You definitely want good shoes. Um, some people, I mean, sneakers. Well, it depends. I mean, you probably would want hiking shoes or hiking boots, but I've, I've know of people that have done it in the, the Vibram shoes or the hiking sandals. It really depends on you. If you know your feet, if you don't, and you've never done it before, I would go with hiking boots or shoes and break them in ahead of time. Um, Mm, but if you are a trail runner and you have shoes that you love, go for it. I would suggest that making something waterproof or getting waterproof shoes would be good because you it it rains. I mean, you're walking through different climates. Definitely in Galicia, it rains a lot. You might be walking through a stream or mud or so you might want to get something that's Gore-Tex or the waterproof. I like to walk with hiking sticks or hiking poles, trekking poles, two of them, because I don't have the greatest knees. And on the downhills, that really helps because so that your backpack doesn't carry you down the, the yeah, hill head over heels yeah <laughs> um and also to help you just i had really bad blisters so it really did help me take weight off my feet during the days uh, after i got the blisters but that's a personal preference as well some people walk with one stick some people hate anything in their hands so you just i would say if you're new at it just try stuff out while you're practicing and see what works for you you can always buy sticks along the trail or get rid of them and give them away it, i mean yeah that's a lot of people will pack things and then find they don't need it and just give it away or ship it ahead to santiago what about bringing water and food? Because I'm sure some people might think, oh, I need to pack my pack down with water or food. Obviously, it's going to be really heavy each day. Did you bring stuff with you? Was it easy enough to find food that you didn't bring anything with you? I mean, I guess I wouldn't suggest bringing nothing. You want to have like some sort of sustenance, maybe a few granola bars, but how much should people bring? On the Camino Francais, you really don't need to pack a lot. Now, I would carry a water bottle or those, what are they? The Camelback. platypus, camelback yeah. things. Platypus, I don't know if that exists, but it should. <laughs> um, they, a lot of people have those and you can fill them up. There's fountains, uh, pilgrim fountains that you, along the way that you'll come across. So I would definitely say carry something like wa- at least one or two water bottles, depending how much you sweat and how much you, you drink a day, but you don't need to like stock up like you're going through the desert. Right. If you're starting in Sevilla, you do. But if you're going to on the Camino Frances, it's, it's not a necessity. I carried some granola bars and I carried some, um, trail mix and just a few little snacks to eat along the way. And then if I knew that the next day there would be no cafes or restaurants along the way, I would just pack something from the grocery store or buy something in the morning to hold me through. But my route was more remote than the Camino Frances. I think the Camino Frances, you're always going to pass a cafe or restaurant along the way because it just is. So if you're taking one of the other routes, definitely do some research and see what other people say. There's a website called the Camino Forum run by this guy named Ivar, who's really awesome. Pilgrims answer all sorts of questions. You can usually Google your question and people have already asked it about certain routes or certain questions. Um, And it's a good resource for some of the other routes that don't have as much information online. Yeah, that's awesome. And we will link all that stuff in the show notes. We've only got to touch on a little bit, but yeah, you've given us some some great information. We are going to touch, as I mentioned, more on Santiago de Compostela itself and Galicia as a whole and kind of what to do there. But one last thing, a lot of people stop in Santiago, but you can actually continue on to 
Finisterre? Yeah. I don't know. I know I'm saying it wrong. You can <laughs> reprimand me here in my Spanish. I don't know any Spanish. But you can either stop in Santiago, that's kind of the traditional thing, or you can continue and go all the way to what is called the end of the earth, right? Yeah, you can continue on. It's another about three days um, from Santiago. And it's at the end, you walk along the beach, which I hear is very beautiful to to end your Camino on. If anyone's seen the movie The Way, they end in Muxia, which is another day from from Finisterre. And that's also another ending point that you can go to. Both are really nice ways, whether you walk out there or bus out there after you're done in Santiago. It's a really good way to end your your journey because you're at the coast, you're at what used to be considered the end of the world, or one of them, and you can watch the sunset in in the medieval times, that's where they burned their clothes before returning home to signify that, one, because the clothes were really gross, and two, to signify that they're a new person. Um, and then they would run into the ocean. I wouldn't suggest that. Galicia is very cold. The water is freezing all year round. So, you know, just be warned. But it is a nice way to end. And a lot of people are can, are doing that now because they feel like that's a better ending point than just Santiago. Right. So, right. so they'll go to the cathedral in Santiago. They'll do a service, something like that, and then continue on their mm-hmm. walk or even bus out. The way Gail mentioned, great movie for anyone interested in the Camino, even if you're not interested in the Camino. I, I've watched it a few times. I think our dad even said he's watched like three times and teared up each time. Just a really well done movie. If you want to know more about the Camino, it's a really easy way to learn about it in about an hour and a half. And our dad does not cry at movies. <laughs> yeah, so that was, it was pretty cool. So there you have it, folks. It's a breakdown of you know all the best tips and tricks for walking the Camino from an expert, from someone who has lived in Santiago two years, seen a ton of pilgrims going through, done some of it herself. If you guys have any questions whatsoever, you can head to the show notes, drop us a comment. Gail, I'm sure you'd be happy to answer some of the questions that would come up, of course. Of course. I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> I know where you live. Um, you could get that extra pack of peanuts.com slash Camino. And don't forget, let us know how we're doing with these shows. Again, we want to make it as perfect as possible for you. We're putting out a lot of shows. There's a lot of information out there, but we want to make sure the ones we're putting out are the ones that you guys want to listen to. I have had some tremendous guests come on from Gail to Heather to Jason to, of course, all the people who have been on for interviews. So a lot of these reviews that are on Extra Pack of Peanuts iTunes page are all about Travis, great podcast, this or that, because that's when I was doing it on my own. Give these people some love. Leave us a review on iTunes. If you do, it might just be the feature review that we read out. Today's is going to come, the feature review from Andrew Sidor, and he gives it five stars. He said, this podcast is great. The information is great for the novice or the expert traveler. Great guest interviews too. I can't wait till more episodes come out. So Andrew, you're very lucky because we're doing many, many more episodes from when you left that review. Thank you so much for that. And that is the goal, really, for novice or expert travelers. We all want to travel more who listen to this. We all don't know everything about you know everywhere in the world. So we're trying to get some really interesting folks to come on. So Gail, thanks again for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, shoot me an email, travedextra, pack of peanuts with any questions, comments, or anything like that. And until tomorrow, happy free travels. <laughs>